Yeah, Nina Mani, uh, Nai Nari uh, Kamatri Marija, uh, Nai Wangadi Mani Budni, Gani Yatana, here in the Yatta. Uh, yeah, it's uh, nice to be on Ghana Country, and uh, I uh, hope that you're uh, good, Jace, and um, uh, as a uh, descendant of the Ghana people, um, yeah, it's nice to welcome people to our country. Real People is produced by Square Holes, an agency conducting and publishing customised explorative research on key consumer markets, customers, and population segments. Squareholes also provides associated consulting and support to ignite positive business and social behavior change. Visit squareholes.com for more. Radio, hello there. My name is Jason Dunstone and welcome to Real People, where we interview average and not-so-average people, academics, researchers and leading thinkers to help us better understand what real people believe and how they behave. Today we meet with Maricha, also known as Michael or Mikey O'Brien, on the country of the Ghana people. We recognise Ghana as the traditional owner and custodians of the Adelaide Plains and we recognise the significance for Ghana people and of their cultural and spiritual relationship with the land, sea, waterways and sky and cultural and heritage beliefs. The acknowledgement is of continuing importance to Ghana people living today. Thank you so much, Mikey, for joining us today and for the welcome to Ghana Country to start this episode. Mikey is a spokesperson, trainer and leader of the Ghana people and a passionate advocate for Aboriginal culture, language and history. Today, Mikey shares his story from a young boy as the sixth born male in his family with a younger sister to priorities for the future locally and globally. We have a fascinating discussion about generally forgotten Aboriginal history and the importance of community and giving back to support a positive future. Real People is focused on understanding people and cultural differences, and it was great to gain some insights into the world's oldest living population on Earth. We discussed the importance of preserving and educating the history of Aboriginal people, its language and values for future generations, and that a strong community doesn't just look after the needs of the majority, but also the minority and vulnerable. Aboriginal people continue to have a lower life expectancy and are significantly overrepresented in many areas illustrating worrying socioeconomic gaps. We discuss what we can learn from Aboriginal people, including connection to land, sea, waterways and sky, and the importance of only taking what we need and investing in the future. Thank you, Mikey, for your time and your fascinating story. Let's not waste a moment. On with the show. Hit it! That's what I'm talking about. Wait! Okay now, from the beginning. Welcome, Mikey or uh, Michael. Uh, lovely to have you here this morning. Um, I'm going to start right back at the beginning. What were you like as a young boy? I, I don't mind where you start. What's, what's the most vivid memory of you as a young boy that you can, you can recall? Yeah, well, let me uh, start off. Um, my uh, Aboriginal name sort of gives us a, a bit of an indication uh, to uh, my family background, really, because um, Maricha uh, is uh, basically your birth uh, position, and I am the sixth-born uh, male in my family. So we had seven children in our family, uh, six boys and one girl. Sadly for my sister, that was uh, uh, became a, a bit of an issue for her, but... Um, yeah, so, you know, when you're the, uh, I suppose, the second to last uh, child in your family, uh, it's a competition. And uh, as such, uh, you're always fighting for uh, your position, your voice, um, uh, sometimes, I suppose, food and um, and uh, activities. And uh, so, yeah, it was um, it was challenging, but, but also at the same time, um, a beautiful uh, time because... Uh, you know, I had obviously so many siblings to uh, to guide you and uh, to to teach you and um, uh, and also to uh, uh, challenge you. So yeah, it was um, an interesting time. But um, I suppose some of those uh, vivid uh, moments as a child was um, really is uh, just playing in our community. I, I grew up in a um, uh, a heavy uh, public uh, uh, housing environment in the north western suburbs and. Um, and so, you know, our playground was the streets and uh, the environment. And so you, you, you know, you not only went to, to school with the, the kids in your neighbourhood, but you, you played with them in the neighbourhood as well. And, um, 
And so, you know, we did, uh, like most kids uh, do, you do all those things that can uh, get you in trouble, but uh, can also get you um, uh, enjoying um, uh, the outdoors, uh, particularly, um, you know, going through all those things, like will it be learning to, to uh, ride a bike or... Um, learning to uh, throw a ball or um, my passion, um, certainly growing up through my, I suppose, my older brothers was um, football. And, uh, you know, uh, you used anything and everything in your street to uh, create uh, a football field and uh, and uh, to uh, have uh, your, your brothers or your, your neighbours uh, have a little uh, game of football. Uh, um, and that's where you sort of learnt uh, many of your skills, I think. Yeah, yeah, cool. So that, that family was, it sounds like family was very important, even if there was a degree of competition. Sound like every family, my, my family's the same. Every family sort of has that competition going through. And, and sport was a really big part of your, your childhood. Yeah. Is, that, is that right? Yeah. Yeah, uh, I, uh, I was very lucky. Uh, um, you know, uh, sport did become a big passion of mine. And, uh, and it was, you know, probably because of, you know, growing up in a large family and, uh, and competition. But, uh, I ended up becoming a, uh, I suppose a semi-professional back in our day, football player, and played at the highest level in South Australia. And uh, yeah, that was a, a wonderful time for me to to, to uh, have that opportunity. And um, not that I really ever recognised myself uh, uh, having those skills as a player. I, um, you know, people, um, you know, always thought uh, I was a good player. But I, I suppose in life, um, I've always had those uh, elements of. Uh, doubt or, or confidence in yourself and so you I think sometimes that made you strive to be a little bit better and uh, and harder and to be with the people that you wanted to be with I suppose yeah yeah and where does where does I mean always interesting that kind of the being part of like a sport like football is it that the is it the team team part of it or is it just the the love of sport is it the competition as you talked about before what what, what did you like about football, yeah, yeah, look, about that's football? A, look that's an interesting question because um I think sometimes, and we're hearing now, um, um, the government is now pushing that everybody has to do sports in school, as uh, I suppose it contributes to whether it be health. But for me, I think sports uh, gave a lot more than what I think sometimes it gets the credit. Um, you know, for me, it built um, good social skills, it built uh, discipline, um, it gave you commitment, um, as well as those health benefits, it gave you that uh, element of competition. Um, it gave you um, that creative uh, thinking, um, strategic thinking, um, but also, uh, you know, and it gave you, you know, a competition and that, uh, you know, that um, uh, excitement to, to win or to, uh, to challenge and, uh, and work hard. But, um, uh, you know, I think, and it also gives you that collaborative approach, you know, because you've got to uh, recognise everybody that's uh, involved. And I think... Sometimes uh, sport uh, uh, doesn't get those uh, elements that helps us, and um, and also you know later in life or even during life, you know you get to build uh, networks with people, um, and so you have these uh, ongoing associations that develop and goes into you, not just the the sporting uh, environment, but certainly outside the sporting environment to to work and and community, and uh, and I think um, you know I think sports is. Uh, offers so much uh, more than what uh, the physical elements that sometimes gets uh, its uh, attention. But, you know, when I grew up, it, it actually, because like I said, I grew up in uh, one of those uh, heavy public environments and, uh, uh, you know, like a lot of the those type of environments, they tend to uh, get the, the, the negative attention. And But, you know, sport also helped me avoid um, some of those negative things in life, uh, like excessive uh, Alcohol or drugs or or gambling or or crime and uh, those sorts of things um, because uh, you know you had an excuse to to go to uh, training and uh, or you had um, this uh, surrounding yourself with positive uh, people and um, and so in some ways I think it gave you that strength uh, to um, in some ways avoid the the things that sometimes can empower us in our uh, communities or. Our schooling or uh, or our families, I think. Yeah, that's good. That, that really nice sort of foundation in life, and I must like sort of that another community to, to be involved in. Really, it sounds like yeah. Mm. So, so if you looked at yourself then, and then the man I see in front of me now, yes. What, what are sort of some of the key kind of steps to build it? That, that could be about career progression, or could just be about like mm. this the path you followed in in life. What? Yeah, 
it, it's a good question again. And um, I mean, when I look back um, at life, uh, and I think you know, I was very lucky. Um, you know, I had a father uh, who was a, a, a practical man, but also a great thinker, and became a great leader in uh, our our community um, as a as an Aboriginal leader. And um, but um, as such, and because you know, we we were a family. You know, Dad was the only one that worked, and um, um, and so uh, you know, it was a working family, and. Um, Mum, you know, obviously <laughs> worked very hard in looking after uh, seven kids, and and so for me, I what I really loved is I I learnt so many skills uh, practically, um, and sometimes I, I suppose um, uh, uh, thoughtfully because you know with Dad, I uh, you know he would fix his own car, so I got to learn to understand the I suppose the the, the, the basics around mechanics and. You know, when we needed to repair things on the home, I, I learnt those sorts of skills, and um, and uh, and so you, like any kid, sometimes you're given chores, and so you you do those things. And mum, I, I learnt to, you know, cook and um, and to sew and to um, uh, you know do those, um, you know, um, sadly in those sorts of environments. Obviously, uh, you know, those domestic duties, and and so for me it, now, you know. Um, I have those skills, and uh, I'm able to uh, use those skills in my own uh, life, and um, and hopefully I'll, uh, pass those same sorts of skills and learnings uh, uh, to my own children. and uh, And I think it's really important because uh, when you have those skills, you're not afraid to to do things, and you can then help other people, and um, uh, and hopefully um, uh, you know uh, minimise. Um, having to rely on uh, other people to do things for you. Yeah, and to, and now being a a spokesperson mm. and, uh, um, I guess, a trainer in relation to sort of Aboriginal sort of un- understanding Aboriginal culture. How do you get sort of that role? Is that how do you, is that sort of a role you kind of, if you look back at yourself as a child, you kind of went, oh, I'm going to do that in the future, or is it about sort of just it gets bestowed upon you as you go through, or is it just sort of finding? Is it being that kind of desire to be part of the community, or? Yeah, I think it's a staging uh, sort of uh, growth because. You know, as a as a kid, um, you know, um, we had a lot of cultural uh, contact with uh, you know our community and family, and because you know my dad, uh, he was born on mission and uh, on the York Peninsula, and my mum's family is uh, from the uh, Narunga Nation, the York Peninsula uh, area, and um, even though uh, my dad's, um, uh, I suppose, grounding connections uh, uh, with the Ghana people of the Adelaide Plains, but. And so we would often, um, uh, you know, take um, our holidays or, or weekends over in uh, the York Peninsula with uh, uh, largely my mum's family and uh, because, um, uh, you know, that was still a very much a strong connection and uh, whereas uh, my dad, um, having um, sadly gone into uh, the child protection industry uh, or industry or environment rather is that... Um, you know, he uh, lost uh, a many a contact with uh, his own siblings, but um, over his journey, you know, built that up. But so, in those early days of travelling over to the York Peninsula, yeah, certainly had a lot of cultural contact and uh, and loved it as a kid. And I, you know, have vivid memories of uh, you know visiting the missions and um, and uh, and and mixing with our community people. And but then, you know, as you get older, you uh, tend to have your own uh, interests and. Um, own wants and uh, you know that was uh, friends uh, later in life and uh, and sport uh, as I said became a big passion of mine and and uh, and then when you start getting into uh, that uh, working environment then you I, I suppose uh, as much as I never uh, started off working in um, uh, connections with um, uh, supporting our uh, cultural community and stuff it um, it sort of slowly uh, came uh, came to me as I got a bit older and started giving up uh, those other aspects of uh, your own personal journeys and, and also watching my father uh, take his uh, journey and still continues that journey in culture. But I also had a wonderful nana um, who who uh, did a, so much for uh, community and uh, was ended up uh, being recognised for her hard work as well. And and so you had great leaders around you and, and certainly my mum was a great contributor to community and uh, as well and... And so later in life you do, and but then also, uh, like cultures are, um, 
it's not a, a choice sometimes, it's a responsibility. And Can uh, you explain that? So it's not a choice but a responsibility? Yeah. Um, well, I suppose if you want to be a, a person and, uh, and say you, in my opinion, a, an Aboriginal person and a, a person who is connected to your culture, well, um, as cultures did, and, and, and in some ways when you look at modern society, you, you had roles and responsibilities, uh, you know, whether it be a hunter and gatherer, um, or in modern world, a labourer, or if you were a, a, a protector, um, you know, or a lawman in, in modern world, and and so it's all about these responsibilities, and um, and so you know, uh, sadly, in the, the Aboriginal community, our people don't live as long as um, uh, the non-Aboriginal population, and um, and so when you see certainly great people um, like your your, your elders, and uh, and certainly people like my father. Uh, and the hard work they do to give the benefits to the wider community, um, then you admire them. But but there comes a stage where they ask, and and uh, and if you um, and you in some ways have to accept that uh, you have to take on duties, and one of those duties is to for me is now become you know um, uh, practicing culture. I mean, if you want to be the oldest living uh, culture in the world, well. You've got to practice it and you've got to continue it. And uh, sadly, we don't live forever. And um, so it's my turn. And uh, uh, some days um, that's hard. Some days it's exciting and uh, beautiful. And um, But, you know, um, like I said, to, to be, uh, you know, a part of the community and to, I think, really to, to be an Aboriginal person, you can't uh, just be a descendant or... Um, um, you you have to actually live it, and um, and and I suppose I had great teachers, and mm-hmm. so um, why wouldn't you? Yeah. So how, how do you live it sort of now? How what, what sort of how does it become part of your life? Is that more about sort of um, yeah? How does it sort of? Well, I suppose I've been lucky a little bit um, where later in life I've I've taken that path of um, uh, working in environments where um, Aboriginal culture has a, a direct link and. Um, and so um, when I've worked in areas, I've been a, an Aboriginal consultant supporting those who in in the community of need, like in public housing. Uh, currently now, I uh, sadly uh, work in the, another one of those high areas of our people over-represent, and that's in the um, uh, child protection industry. And so I find that those connections have given me that strength to, to look at uh, how you can help people and... Um, whether it be Aboriginal people directly or the non-Aboriginal people who, um, you know, sometimes uh, are there to, again, support our people in um, making those changes and difference to, to have better lives for everybody. Yeah. Do you, obviously, one of your key roles is as, an ed- as, a, as a leader yep. and an educator. Mm-hmm. Um, where do you sort of see the continuing mismatch or misunderstanding amongst the non-Aboriginal community in relation to the Aboriginal community? What, what, where do you sort of see sort of a lack of understanding or areas that you kind of try to focus on in terms of communication or is there, yeah, is there a growing level of curiosity now than what there was or...? Yeah, look, I, you know, uh, because I work um, in an environment where I get the opportunity to give uh, cultural awareness um, understandings, um, I suppose when you really come down to it, it's education, I mean... Uh, we're a, we're a funny mob, Australians. We're very uh, supportive of so many different cultures, and we're a very much a, a large multicultural nation. And so we accept a lot of cultures, and a lot of us will explore other cultures, whether it be in food and language and dance and music, and um, and even um, their places of origin. Um, and we love it. And um, but one of the sad things I find as a as an Aboriginal person is that uh, the oldest living culture is at our doorstep, and yet um, we um, pretty well ignore it. Um, whether it be through um, historical aspects of colonisation, whether it be even when you go beyond that, which is these tens and thousands of years our people have lived in those uh, values that I think uh, can still be um, taken on board. Um, and so education is, I, I think, is a, a large key, and um, and uh, I get that opportunity to to, to impart some of that, and uh, and people are amazed um, the, about not just only the cultural history and the impacts of colonisation, but in some ways uh, I find even a lot of people don't even know um, the colonised history 
which is is really sad. And and I think when you have those foundations, it gives you that identity of who you are and where you've come from. But more importantly, it doesn't then divorce yourself of of these impacts. I mean, people don't realise there's still transgenerational impacts of those early days of colonisation still affects our people and and in some ways um, it's just in different uh, forms and waves that uh, uh, still continue to impact our, our people itself. Is, is that... Do you, are schools doing it okay or are they getting better or what, what, what's your thinking well, in terms good... of how school... Do you, do you go into schools or do you have other people you know that go into schools to talk about... Well, I, I do have small opportunities to go into schools and impart cultural uh, knowledge and, and understanding and information. And I, I know um, <clears throat> uh, a few years ago I, I remember reading the, uh, the strategic plan uh, of the education system and they, they indicated that only 40% of their schools had any cultural contact and um, they wanted by, um, I think, year 216 to have 100% of the public schools having cultural uh, content. And I've asked a number of times um, regarding um, where are these schools at at the moment and I've not been given an answer and I I'd sort of tend to believe that probably it still is at 40% because people don't realise that cultural content wasn't really being given until 1988 and um, well after my schooling years. Um, and so I think, you know, that's where we're missing out. We're not, you know, we're teaching other cultures and, and that's wonderful, but I think we should be teaching our primary culture of this uh, this nation um, and then we'll get a, I think, a, a bit more understanding of uh, the connections that we should have with the uh, First Nations people. Yeah. So the colonisation, and I'm just assuming you're talking about things like the stolen generation and areas where they sort of certainly mm. have ramifications sort of flowing through for for decades and for it's hard to kind of overcome those sort of issues. Is that is that right? Of kind of not not been afraid of talk talking about sort of the history and, and being quite candid about that. Is is that? Yeah. Look, you're you're exactly right. I mean, people are afraid to talk about it, but and and they look at it always in this um, a blame or excuse um, environment. And I think really what we should be looking at is how how those impacts are and how really we can. Um, take that on board and, and provide um, a, a change and a, and a better future, uh, not just for the Aboriginal people, but also for all of us. Because, you know, cultures should bring us together, shouldn't divide us. And, and we have sometimes uh, this, uh, I suppose, unconscious belief that um, we seem to have to um, uh, be different or, or to not connect uh, with the Aboriginal uh, population and that we, we sometimes see them as the other people rather than saying, you know what, we're a part of those people because we live on this country and therefore we become a part of this country and therefore we have a responsibility for this country just like the Aboriginal people uh, believed in. And when we have that belief, I think really we can uh, grow that connection. I mean, you know, you, when you go to somebody else's nation group, you take on their language, you take on their cultural beliefs and things like that. Um, you know, sadly, you know, because of colonisation, we've lost those. But it, uh, in those early days, but it doesn't mean we can't reclaim those things. And you know, my father and 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 some of our other key leaders in our community. You know, we were lucky. Uh, the German missionaries recorded our language at uh, some three thousand words, and so, you know, in those late eighties, um, people like my father were able to reclaim our language, and now we can speak our language today. Um, and, and I think it's important because language is not just about speaking it, it's about what it gives you um, from so many other levels of uh, how people spoke and, and, and what made up the language and how it was used and, and, um, and understanding places, um, understanding connections with people and, and values. Like I said, you know, to, you know, we don't have in the, uh, the English language that sort of thing that identifies when you, as I said, you know, when you say marriage, that tells you that I'm the sixth born male in my family. Well, you know, you would just say you were the sixth child in your family or something like that in the in the Western world sort of context. Yeah. So it's not losing those language sort of those. Yeah. What, what, what are some other, other the, the other aspects of uh, the his, history that you um, believe should be sort of told much more sort of candidly and openly and, and understood much more by, yeah, by people? Yeah, you know, I... I when I look back, you know, I've always tried to, when it comes to, I suppose, telling the history and, 
and, and really culture and connection. I've always looked to try and um, look for the positives in life. And when you look at it, I mean, you know, our, our king of the day um, in those 1800s, um, uh, King William IV, he, he set the, the benchmark really uh, when he wrote the letters patent where he said he wanted the Aboriginal people of this nation to own and occupy the land. Now, uh, you know, South Australia was a free colony and uh, at that time period of uh, 1836 uh, and um, uh, sadly for the Aboriginal people, because I believe that was the first reconciliation document ever written, um, sadly he died six months after putting the, the King's seal on that and uh, sadly the government of the day chose to do different things which was to push Aboriginal people into missions and remove them from their land and their language and, and cultural um, practices. And But when you look at even other little um, aspects of of um, this relationship Aboriginal people had, I mean, when you look at Mullawilla Burka, um, who worked um, and guided um, the Colonel Light to um, set out and lay out Adelaide, um, and, uh, you know, um, whether you say subconsciously or, or as our people do, which is that connecting and, and understanding the land, um, Adelaide is um, set in the shape of a, a kangaroo and North Adelaide in the shape of an emu and there being the two um, emblems that we see on our national crest and, and Ad- Adelaide is, uh, ha- was known as the heart of, um, of our nation from a cultural perspective as well. And, um, and so... I think when you look at those people, when you look at <clears throat> the fact that even my great-great-great-grandmother Canado, one of the last uh, full-blooded Aboriginal people, went to the native school, learnt to write English um, and, and read it in, in three months of ha- uh, going to the native school, married a non-Aboriginal man, uh, the first lady to do that in South Australia in, in 1848. And and so, you know, when you see these sorts of things, and, and even as simple as the flag of South Australia from 1876 to 1904 actually has two people on that uh, flag, one being a person representing the, the nation of Britannia, the second person being an Aboriginal person. Both uh, The person from Britannia is extending her arm to, to, to be welcomed by the Aboriginal person. So we've got these indi- indications and connections even of early times of where Aboriginal people worked with non-Aboriginal people and, and had these relationships. And, uh, and I think um, we don't need to fear this um, uh, disconnection that we, we, we sometimes tend to uh, carry out in, in today's um, uh, world. Mm. But it shows that, I guess, the power from a positive and negative way of government, doesn't it, really? That sort of the, the intention back at the start was about collaboration and about community and something went wrong from decision makers sort of yeah having ill intent or different intent and it all sort of went sort of um yeah in in the wrong direction is that is that fair yeah because i think sometimes people get into fear and then also uh wanting uh, control and um and so when you treat people in a way that's um less then um um they become that mould and, and other people um, will, you know, in some ways continue those moulds and, um, and we know that. And, um, and <clears throat> like you look at um, in the public society today, I mean, when there's incidents of particularly um, troubling issues, um, our media and, um, and likes always tend to identify Aboriginal people as a, as a group uh, that, these are the troubles they're creating rather than going, well, you know, those individuals may be creating those troubles and issues, but they don't represent the Aboriginal people or, or that culture. And so what ends up happening is every time some of those instant people automatically revert to this, oh, yeah, it's Aboriginal people, and and uh, and it's not. Um, that's not um, a part of our culture or society, but what you've got to understand is what those impacts are on uh, those individuals, but also... Uh, by relating that all the time, how it then um, subconsciously goes through our mind and we, we then start to label people in a way um, that is not really um, uh, conducive but also um, uh, factually um, the right way to present people um, and therefore we don't get that shift forward. Is there, is there a, 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 a continued lack of sense of inclusiveness Sort of amongst the community, sort of is, is that that sort of sense that non-Aboriginal community is still not being as inclusive as they should be, or not? Under, is it not understanding? Is it 
Is it not respecting? Is it um, they're busy with their own lives, they're not considering others? Where, where do you think the, the, the gap comes through? Of, of yeah, well, culture, is, culture is hard and, um, and so you have to live uh, culture. It's not a job. It's um, something that's a part of your life. And, um, but also, too, I think as much as, as I said earlier, we've become a wonderful multicultural nation and as such um, we embrace all these other cultures and and sadly for the aboriginal people we're 3% of the population 3 to 5% and so the voice is very small and so people get to this stage of uh, basically out of sight out of mind and that cultural issues still shouldn't play and and then people uh, think that uh, you know aboriginal people should have moved forward by now and and it's not the case because you know, we live in a society where um, it's all about democracy and, and, um, and uh, you know, the majority um, has the say. But what we forget is the majority has the say, but the majority has the say in looking after the minority. That's the aspect. It's not about saying, well, the majority gets what they want. It's about saying how they uh, can improve and in influence and uh, embrace also the minority and sometimes I think we forget that um, in life and uh, and it's sad that um, we see that oh well we can ignore the minority groups but it's not it's about saying how do we make them inclusive and we look after them and that's what you should be should be doing and that's how life is about you know when we look at it in its crux it's um, it's not um, about being uh, you know the, the the fittest survive it's about saying how how we do share and and how do we do become together and uh, enable ourselves um, to ensure that um, everybody uh, has a position or a place in our communities mm. and uh, and lives because that's how we we learn and how do we evolve and um, and um, and create um, a, a better lives for for all of us. Yeah, and it's it interesting. Uh, uh, Christina Dreiser, who was uh, our interview last week, I believe, or no, week before last. Uh, she talked about as a broad community, this is sort of in Australia and, and beyond, there's more of a growth mindset. So everybody's wanting to grow and they're thinking about the future and how do we get more assets and how do we build, but we need to almost be sort of more content in the now. And if we're more content now without being obsessed with our own personal growth, we start to kind of focus a bit more on broader social and community issues and how we can solve those. So, and I was kind of wondering whether there's that disconnect there where the broader community's going, oh, we're so busy, we've got to, we've got to pay the mortgage, we've got to do this. So they're not actually kind of focusing in on issues like um, uh, life expectancy and, and some of the challenges that Aboriginal communities are, are, are facing. Um, do, you, is, is that, is, do you think that's fair that we're kind of the, the, the broader community sort of so focusing on their own, own prosperity that they're not focusing in on some of those vulnerable communities and those vulnerable issues. Yeah, look, yeah, I, I think you're you're right there. I mean, you know, sometimes as I talk to people, you know, I say culture doesn't put bread and butter on your table, you know, and I've got to have a day job like everybody else, and because um, we live in this modern world that um, creates um, the need to to have wealth to to um, to survive, and and um, but in doing that. We sometimes uh, get focused uh, on a lot of wants rather than needs, and um, and I think you know when I, I I sort of look at society today, and I I, I call it the bird syndrome, and uh, what that means is uh, when you look at it, um, uh, we have parents who um, give us life, they raise us, they feed us, they educate us, and and teach us. And then when we come to a certain age, they push us out of the nest. And uh, if we fly, we fly. If we don't, well, we're not. Um, and whereas when you look at, you know, those strong cultures and, and, uh, and the past, uh, particularly when we talk about Aboriginal people, it wasn't uh, the, the bird scenario of just pushing somebody out. It was the fact that you worked uh, uh, collaboratively and, and the, the, the family grew and just became bigger and then that's expanded into the community um, like uh, our culture believe. You know, we, our, our aunties were our, also our mothers and, uh, and uncles were our fathers and, and our cousins were also our brothers and, and, and sisters and, um, and so it was an expansion whereas we now live in the society, it's about self and then it's about, you know, surviving for yourself and forgetting everybody else. And, and I think we get so much um, driven by that, we 
um, we we forget to to look after those who who are in need as well. Is is that sort of um, I guess selfishness also sort of is that sort of in the broader community, but also like in in the Aboriginal community sometimes sort of you, you find other younger guys sort of or whoever sort of thinking. They're, they're not thinking community. Is, is there the definition of community within the Aboriginal community changing for some of the guys? And, you, and your role is to encourage them to think broader and to to maintain strong values and and yeah, the importance of that. Look, is- there, there, I, I believe there has to be a, a new shift. I mean, you know, certainly we we hear all those little uh, catchphrases like the squeaky wheel and and all that. And I and then you know whether it be you know all we can uh, determine is uh, ourselves and. And these sorts of um, you know um, aspects to our lives, and and look, some of that's still partly. But I, I think you know um, we know that the Aboriginal people are people that um, are disadvantaged, and uh, some people want to hear it, some people don't, and and sadly the, the majority don't. And and so I think as Aboriginal people, we've got to look at different ways of of changing the future for our people and becoming inclusive and and connectable to society. And that's why I've uh, uh, when I've seen some of our great leaders, I've looked at those positive ways, how we can influence and connect with people so that they have this connection in the positive ways rather than just trying to use the um, the past in those negative ways to divorce themselves immediately. And I want people to connect because the culture just doesn't belong to the Aboriginal people, it belongs to all of us. But, you know, to use a bit of an analogy, I suppose, it's like, you know, when we're on a plane, and uh, when there's something, you know, um, troubling happens in the plane, we, we hear that little thing that's been told to us over the uh, the, the um, loudspeaker system, which is, you know, uh, as adults, put your, your safety mask on first and then the children. Well, and that's what life's about. It's saying, look, you can build your wealth, you can um, get your expertise, your education and knowledge and, and all that. No one's saying you shouldn't do that. But when you get that, what that means is you should then enable yourself then to help the others um, to to build their wealth and knowledge as well. And um, and I think sometimes we get so focused on building our own wealth and knowledge that we 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 think it's you know um, they got to do it themselves. And you know because I had to do it. Well, it's not. It's about saying that you are in the position. You've had those fortunes, those skills, or knowledge, or teachings. Um, and so sometimes. You know, it's about giving back. We, mm. we had this word called muka muka. Muka muka meaning two halves um, uh, being the brain. And it's about this uh, two-ness, which meant that um, we had uh, this word uh, that we see in the modern language, which is reciprocity, which means about mutual benefit. And it's saying that in life, um, what you take, uh, you must, you know, give. And so therefore, you know, when you look at our culture, we, it was always about this uh, completeness, about sharing and about um, protecting and about um, uh, supporting. And um, and I think when we look at life in those sorts of elements, um, that's why our people were able to uh, live along um, this nation of uh, tens of thousands of years on the driest continent and the driest, uh, uh, you, know, um, and, you know, South Australia particularly being the driest state as well. And so, um, you know, and so our people were knowledgeable. They understood the balance and the harmony of things in life. Um, you know, we we strongly connect with the land and we say that, you know, the land has been here before us and will continue to be here after us. But when you focus on the land, what that does is it then takes away the focus on yourself because what it's saying is I've got to leave things for other people, I've got to provide for other people, and um, whereas we've become a society that says we focus on ourselves, mm. fill ourselves with wealth and knowledge and information and we forget the rest, and that's why sometimes we make decisions that sometimes affects the environment or affects other people And because um, we're not looking at uh, the land first. And, you know, as a person who is a Christian follower, I mean, you know, when you look in those early uh, elements of the Genesis, and then it says that, uh, uh, you know, everything was created from the land. Our people were spiritual people. We believe everything was created from the land. And, it, and we had some of these commonalities with the Christian. That's why we adopted the Christian faith quite easily in those early mission days because it had this commonality and it said that also if you look after the land it will look after you and um you know and i think we forget those things because mm. you know when you look at it you know we can fill ourselves with as much christianity or we can fill ourselves with as much wealth but ultimately um 
without the land and the people upon the land or the animals or the plants, um, no one lives. Yeah, yeah. And then that, that land, it's that, that sort of um, that connection and that anchoring, that mindfulness of our significance and insignificance almost, isn't it really? It's how important that land is and it, is, it becomes such an important part of, I guess, grounding sort of people's lives, is that? Yeah, well, but it gives you so much teachings because, uh, you know, when you look at our society, we were an oral society. And so we were about um, listening, we were about observing, we were about doing or imitating. You know, we imitated, we understood, you know, how the birds and uh, and the animals connected with the land and, and the plants and things like that. And, and so we learnt from those things to enable us to, to live and to work in harmony and and the problem is we don't, you know, as people now, um, uh, we, we've become so advanced in, you know, particularly technology and all that. And, um, and so we don't get out into the environment. We don't touch the environment. We don't sit upon the environment. We don't talk to the people on the environment. And, and you know, it's like now I remember, as I said earlier, you know, growing up, you lived in the streets, you knew your neighbours. Now, as even as an adult, I find that uh, you drive into your driveway you might wave to your neighbour and that's about it. Mm-hmm. And then you go to work and, and so we're not connecting with society so therefore you're not really understanding who's a part of your society. Um, we're only really reading about it or, or doing it in our workplace but we've got to do it beyond our workplaces and, uh, and that's why, you know, myself, uh, you know, I don't just go to work, I just don't um, live in my community, you know, I, uh, I also connect, you know, I sit on boards and uh, community groups and... Uh, and um, and give advice and um, and like I said you know I try to get out into schools and, and promote culture um, I do it through um, obviously those responsibilities uh, through my culture of you know providing welcome to country and things like that and and uh, and so by doing those things that's how you really uh, connect and understand uh, the environment that we live in yeah, better. yeah. And, and 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 having it so uh, a lot of the work we do talks about um, whether people understand their responsibility to protecting the environment. So whether it's the, whether it's climate change or whether it's recycling or whether it's sort of looking after our native habitat. And what we often find is there's a disconnect between they all know they should be doing the right thing, but as we were talking about before, life's so busy and, and other things sort of get put as a priority. What can the community learn from the Aboriginal community, the broader community, the non-Aboriginal broader community learn from the Aboriginal community about looking after our environment? Yeah, look, I think there's, like I said, that that two-ness, you know, that when you take something, you have to give something back. And it was a, you know, we had totems, so you therefore, a totem was about saying, well, okay, I might be uh, the, the guardy being the emu might be my totem. It meant that I couldn't eat that emu. It meant that I had to look after its environment. But it didn't mean I stopped other people eating the emu. They could eat the emu. Um, and then they might have, for instance, the tanda being the kangaroo as their totem. So that meant that they couldn't eat the kangaroo, and, and so it meant that I could. And so what it meant was if we all leave one thing for somebody else, then that means we all have all these things. Um, so we're not taking all of the things, we're only taking the things that we need, and, and we're protecting and we're sharing uh, the other things in life. Um, we, we now, uh, I think, in society t- tend to be, you know, we want everything um, and therefore sometimes what we're not realising, we're not leaving anything behind and uh, whether it be for the next generations to come and um, um, to learn and to understand. And, uh, and I think, you know, when you look at culture, um, that's what it taught us. Um, it taught us to, to, to have this balance and um, sadly, we, you know, we've lost a lot of that. Yeah, yeah. So when you look at another project we did recently was about green space and how important green space. Mm-hmm. No, it doesn't necessarily to be green. It's green is just the term uh, for for open space or green yeah. space or a park. So we start talking about urban consolidation. What's sort of like? Do you have a sort of perspective on that? Whether it's well, common? yeah, and and like I said earlier, Mullawilla Burka helped Colonel Light. If you look at Adelaide, it's got a lot of green space. Why? Because our people knew um, that uh, fires and and things were an important part of not only just living, because we did cold fires, which was we burnt off things because that created new growth. But you also had to have places where if um, uh, there were situations where you were trapped or needed, you, you need to be able to be in those open spaces so you could uh, avoid um, um, being um, uh, you know, caught in uh, 
as we said, fires and things like that. And, and so the, the city itself has that green space. But, but also we know green space is about so that you can sit upon it and, 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 and look upon it and to, to, to feel upon it. And, uh, and so we, it's very important, but we find that we're, we're building a society that uh, is taking away a lot of those green spaces. And therefore it's not good for our mental um, or our emotional or even all our, our physical um, uh, needs. And, you know, our, our people believe strongly that we were emotional, mental and, um, um, and spiritual people. And um, when you have land, um, that's what that gives you. I mean, and we have this physical connection that we have to touch the land, but we isolate ourselves so much from the land now because we wear shoes, we, we live in buildings, um, and, uh, you know, we occasionally might get on the land, but we don't, we don't really touch it or feel it. Mm. And, um, and it's important to do that because we are, um, uh, you know, connected to the land, uh, whether you say in an energy perspective, but also in that emotional and, and mental things because we know that when we see beautiful things... Uh, it makes us feel well and makes us feel good, and and then we understand, you know, um, the need to have those beautiful items uh, uh, in, in our lives. Yeah, yeah, and it and and uh, sort of that project and sort of other similar projects, and even kind of come back to some of your early discussion. It's sometimes I think there's an assumption that government's there to protect us, so people don't fight for I don't know protecting things or about getting um, vulnerable communities being respected because they go they, they assume that there's there's someone out there there's a big brother out there kind of working it but the reality is that government probably does what what they believe that the the voters want and 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 it's, it's important that the community sort of stands up and and I guess for one a better term fights for for the right things to occur and and it's been great hearing you um talking Mike about sort of uh, fighting in a positive way but what what do you how and I, I was listening to something yesterday about people are now protesting, but they're protesting more and more from their couch on a Twitter or, or Facebook or whether rather than actually going out there and actually kind of making an effort. What, what do you think the right way of actually from the broader community side of being able to f- fight or protect a positive future? Yeah, look, it's, a, it's something that I always think about. And, and honestly, uh, as I tell even... Uh, my own countrymen. I said, there's one thing to be an Aboriginal person. There's one thing that you you feel uh, your needs are not being met, and and we occasionally um, we can voice that. Sometimes we can um, uh, work in that environment that can help improve that. But I think more importantly, um, what we don't do as as people is um, we don't get actively involved in. It's not about just protesting, but actually being with those people that are in need. Like I said, sitting on committees and advisory groups or going to events um, and or, or just even in your community. And like I, I tell a lot of people, uh, the best way to learn things is, you know, that person you see in the street that may look homeless or may look in need. You know what? Sit with them. Talk with them. Um, you never know what you'll learn from those people. And uh, and then it gives you uh, this this better uh, self in your, your own um, decision-making and, and wants. And, you know, there's this bit of a, a saying, you know, our, our faces tells us where we've been, but our hearts tells us where to go. And I think, you know, that's the important thing. You know, we, we need to experience things and we need to connect with things. But when we look in, in our hearts, um, that's where um, really our best um, uh, decisions and uh, and movements come from um, because then because we have this connection with people and 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 the land. Like I said, we keep referring to this, and uh, I think we have too much society disconnect us because we've got social media that disconnect us because we live in this um, non-reality world, um, and uh, and we're not uh, like I said talking to our neighbours in the street. We're not understanding what's what their lives about. We only just know what our own lives are about, and uh, and that's the sad thing. And so. We then rely on media and and those who are vocal to to help us make our decisions rather than, you know, um, being first-hand decision-makers by being out there in the community where we're second or third or or or, or not at all um, decision-makers because we're, we're allowing other people to, to do it mm. and make the change and not be a part of it. Yeah, so that's one of your, I guess, your, your teaching, your training is actually to get out there and stand up for what you care for and... And don't be don't be passive in in your lives there. Yeah. yeah, I think it's important. And um, like I said, you know, we all admire all these great people, 
you know, in life, you know, those who win Nobel Bell Prizes or develop modern technologies. Um, but we don't have to be those people. Um, we can be um, the support of those people, but we can all we all have a role in a, in our lives, and it's about um, being contributors. And uh, when we contribute, uh, we then contribute to the whole, and uh, and that's what we've got to remember. It's you know, and that's why again, like I look at sports, you know. Yeah, we, we, in your team you have you know the player who's going to win the medals or or be the best player constantly, but it still requires all those other players to to either get the ball to that person or to receive the ball from that person, um, and so therefore uh, we all play a part. Mm. When we kind of come back to those those core fundamental wrongs that need to be made right, uh, impacting the Aboriginal community. Yep. What are they? What, what, what are they? And then sort of what, what, what can be done to actually kind of start resolving those? Because we sort of, we sort of, it feels like sometimes there's this talk about equality, but then there's still vulnerable communities getting lost. Where does the focus need to be? And what, what can we do to have it so in, for our children moving forward, these, these issues get resolved? What are the, what are the fundamental well, kind of issues that? You know, not, I think education is one of them, like I said earlier, but I think it's more than that. I mean, we really need to um, say to ourselves, you know what, we have access to the oldest living culture in the world, therefore, let's promote it, let's connect with it, let's be a part of it. Um, and it's not about flying a flag, and it's not about just, uh, uh, you know, writing um, reconciliation um, action plans and, and these things. We, we actually should be a part of it. We should be teaching uh, the languages in our school, we should understand those cultural elements um, that these uh, First Nation peoples practice for tens of thousands of years. There must be something good in it. You don't survive for tens of thousands of years if it's not got any value because our people would have been extinct. Our people, and, and you know, and people look at it in a negative way, but we say we're survivors because that's what we all are. We, we're, we're surviving, but really we're not thriving. And, and, and we can all thrive on this uh, aspect of of um of culture and and these connections and and like I said we, we we really should be all embracing it shouldn't just be for the Aboriginal people we're happy to share it you know my father as he said he said we've been welcoming people to this nation for thousands of years and the thing that we've never done is we've never told anybody to go home and uh, you know you can look at that in a humorous way or a, a factual and reality way and um, because we've had other nations come to this. Uh, country way before the the colonisation, whether it be the Chinese, the French, or the Dutch, or whatever, um, and so we've had these connections. We understand, and um, you know, when you look at Australia itself, the uh, it was two hundred and fifty uh, plus nations of Aboriginal people, um, and they've proved through um, even some of these DNAs that our people um, stayed in their um, nation groups uh, for for thousands of years, and. Um, which is very uh, interesting and surprising, and um, and so we we understood this harmony and balance with each other, and uh, and so I, I think you know when you go back to cultural uh, uh, ways, I think you can learn a lot, and uh, and if we embrace it, I think you know everybody wins because we know uh, we have you know other cultures in this nation, but we we you know we have uh, visitors and. And and um, and like I said, uh, it, it's something that we should be putting on the world scale and promoting and, and making it um, be a place of uh, of uh, wonder and destination as well. And and beyond like the the, the uh, culture and community and the education you're talking about, what, what about sort of from a whether it's a government side or a, are there kind of priorities there that they should really be focusing on? To overcome like the things like you talked about, life expectancy is lower, and they're sort of overrepresented in certain areas. What are there areas that you kind of is, is it? Cause it simply comes back to the community, a strong community, and and being um, more inclusive as a society, or is it is it is it more? Well, like um, the king did, he said he wanted the Aboriginal people to own and occupy the land they stood upon. Well, Aboriginal people don't own or occupy the land that they they live upon. Um, uh, because that was all taken away. Um, and we know to build wealth, you have to have land. And it's not about just having the land in the sense of just holding it. It's about living upon that land and connecting with that land and inviting people to that land. And, 
and and we have this fear that um, you know we can't give anything to the Aboriginal people because um, they'll do the wrong thing with it, um, or it means that we'll be disadvantaged by it, and um, and and we and we keep constantly creating these fears rather than saying let's embrace the the knowledge and wisdom of the people of the First Nation because there must have been great value. And like I said, I mean, you know, we don't even explore the native foods. We don't even explore the native animals that was provided. Um, you know, um, some scientists will say uh, supported, you know, uh, 1.3 billion uh, lives on this uh, nation. And, and so therefore, um, you know, let's explore those elements and that way it can give us those cultural connections and, and beliefs and understanding. We know we contributed to many of the modern medicines of today, um, and um, and so our people learnt those things. But you know, you know, we don't get those recognitions, and and so I think people can learn a lot by connecting with the land itself. We we, we seem to uh, be influenced uh, by you know the Western world elements, and and look, there is there's wonderful things in that. And like I said, all cultures should uh, bring us together. But I, I think when we look at uh, you know Australia itself and what it has to offer, we keep uh, ignoring it and pushing it to the side, and uh, and I think it's very sad. And uh, and like I said, I think if we embrace those elements, I think we all benefit, not just the Aboriginal people, but I think we as a whole, as a nation, benefit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and, and there's there's such a big focus in the world about globalization and technology and a lot of those aspects and the, I guess and, and what what they promise, almost like a, bit like a gold rush in many ways, um, but it's really it comes back to being rooted into the earth and, and being connected to the earth is, is, is that important one for, for all of those, all those cultural and emotional and psychological reasons behind it. It's really kind of connecting back yeah. and not Well, I mean, you know, and I don't want to harp on it because like I said, I think we need to focus on the positive, but if people were to go back in history and really take the time and effort and see what actually happened to Aboriginal people, whether you look at the massacres or the, the imprisonment or the treated like slaves and, and chained up and, and to be put on missions and remove your language and your, and your culture and, and to be uh, really, in a sense, you know, even um, uh, sent to war or, or to um, uh, live outside uh, the population and, and have to live off rations and things like that. I mean, when you look at it as a whole, have Aboriginal people really become hostile people? No. They've become people that are willing to collaborate and cooperate and to, uh, to um, in, in some way share and, and to move forward. I mean, even when we looked at you know, the, the devastation, what happened with the, the Stolen Generation people, and people you know, uh, got up in arms when we talked about um, you know, um, Kevin Rudd saying sorry, and then the and um, Howard didn't want to say that because oh yes, we're gonna we're gonna lose our land and we'll lose all this. There's gonna be compensation and all that. Well, none of that really happened, mm-hmm. and uh, and as such, people got this fear, and and that's what Aboriginal people has never been about. We're not about um, uh, you know taking away. We're, like I said, we're about being a part of, and um, and so. You know, people have got to really sit back and say to themselves, you know, why should we be in fear of the Aboriginal people? They've not really hurt us. They've not really uh, stopped us from developing or learning. All they keep constantly trying to do is to be a part of the society, to share, to connect, and for you to uh, to embrace um, the elements that uh, uh, that have made them the people that they try to continue to be today. Yeah, no, no, that's, that's, and, and that's that... That need for positive debate mm. and progress and moving into the into the future. We talked about you as a boy yep. at the start of the interview. Um, do you have children? Yeah, I do. Uh, um, and again, that's. Um, I think in lives we're all given opportunities and pathways and uh, and these journeys that we take. And uh, for my wife and I, we we couldn't have our own children, and uh, and so we wanted to be parents. And you know, we built our lives together and and wealth i suppose and um and so we had a home and uh obviously you you build a home to not just for you for you as a as a couple but you want to share it with um with children and uh, and so that you can pass on i suppose your knowledge wisdom legacies uh, to them and uh, and so 
we decided that um, we would become foster parents because we knew um, particularly um, Aboriginal children uh, coming uh, into the uh, child protection system was uh, high in numbers. And so we have um, three Aboriginal children in, uh, as, um, uh, in our care and um, we've had, in the 17 years we've been doing it, we've had uh, seven children. And, uh, you know, for us, it gives us a lot of joy because we get to be parents and we hopefully get to help them um, change um, a, the life that was, you know, sadly started off as um, uh, not on the best way, but hopefully change their life to a better future. Yeah, that's, that's it. And to stop those cycles of, of effects that, you know, particularly happen um, and affect Aboriginal people. Yeah, yeah, that, that's great. We, we've done bits of work for um, over the... Excuse me. <coughs> Uh, bits of work about foster caring and mm. oh geez the last sort of five six years and when we talk talk to foster carers it's quite it's, it's quite always quite interesting uh discussions of how much passion and emotion and it's it's yeah again we sort of talk about the, how, how much they have to kind of fight for respect and rights when it really ultimately comes back to the children and the children have got sort of often come from quite challenging environments that that is it's hard for them to overcome it as well. So, um, so yeah, no, so. You're, you're exactly right. And my, you know, and I suppose I, I, I got that extra passion becoming a foster parent because, you know, my dad uh, having to to go into the the welfare uh, and uh, child protection system um, and the troubles and the the issues that uh, you know impacted on him and and the fact that you know it meant that you know he. Um, uh, obviously um, learnt a lot but you know we as a family um, have remained uh, together and uh, and I think that's because of that hard journey he had and and so I've tried to be that person and dad told me um, you know um, I think really two things that uh, when I asked him about uh, that journey of him being in the uh, child protection system and and he said really there's two main things and the, the main one is Love, he said that you know ch- children need love, and it's not the love of ice cream. You know, it's got to be that deeper sense of love, uh, where you're willing to to do anything, uh, to go beyond uh, yourself uh, in in wanting and supporting the need uh, of that child. And 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 it's not just about um, putting a roof over the head or giving them a bed for the night. It's about saying that you're creating a, a home, a connection, a place. That they that they connect with not just today but tomorrow and uh, and beyond and uh, and so you know that's what drives me to be um, a foster parent and a, and the best parent I possibly can um, and uh, and I think that's what uh, you know we all should be doing. Mm. So you're sort of really taking on those lessons of your father to teach your children. Is yeah. That right? yeah, yeah, yeah. As much as it's hard, though, yeah. let me tell you, I'm not the best parent yeah, in the world. Yeah. I'm saying, but um, it has its challenges, yeah. and um, and uh, yeah, and it's life uh, learning lessons. Yeah, yeah. There's no there's no rule rule book raising children. No. Is there? Uh, is there anything sort of when you look at the future where it's sort of it's really unknown? Like there's technology, globalization, all these sort of things occurring. Are there sort of lessons of what you hope and expect? Just to sort of finish up the discussion that you kind of hope for your children. Yeah, I, I think what you hope for your children is that you hope that the lessons that you learnt are hopefully being imparted into them, and that they take upon those lessons. You know, it may not be today, hopefully tomorrow, um, and uh, that they see um, that they need to be contributors um, uh, to the whole of the community and, and, and to be the best people they possibly can and to to support and provide for others as much as they need to provide for themselves. Uh, you know, sometimes I think, as much as I love technology and all that, but I think sometimes we're seeing in so many ways, whether it be technology itself directly and social medias and all that, but we even when we look on, uh, you know, our TVs, we're seeing so much of these reality shows always constantly being played in front of us and we're not actually living those lives. We're living the lives through those people all the time and I get fearful and it's like technology. You know, it's wonderful and don't get me wrong, I use it. You know, you can type in, for instance, um, 
you know, how does a, a, um, an engine of a car work? And you'll get this information comes up. But you can't type in, um, give me an, a futuristic car that will work off of no fossil fuels because somebody has to create that information. And so, therefore, um, we've got to be careful that we are having people that are going to create or develop or, or understand our future. I think sometimes in life, and uh, we concentrate on so much of uh, the now um, and not think about uh, tomorrow. And like I said with our people, you know, we, we took things that we needed today, but we made sure there was things there tomorrow. And uh, we're not doing enough of that. I mean, I think it's wonderful we can find out, um, you know, why climate change is happening or um, why um, people have poor health and all this sort of stuff. But we're not then looking further into the future and saying, well, what does that look like for us to not have poor health in the future or, or the fact that, um, you know, for argument's sake, because we know that they talk about 2 to 4% of the, the, uh, the climate would increase in, in temperatures. Well, what does that mean that it's going to look like for us as people in there? What do we need to be doing? Not just today to, to, to um, minimise that, but if we know that's going to happen, what does that life look like then? Mm-hmm. You know, and, uh, and I think um, when we uh, understand this uh, balance, I think we can uh, certainly, and you know, getting out there and connecting, uh, I think we can then make uh, real changes to people. Thank you so much. That was such a fascinating discussion. I learnt a lot and I really appreciate your time um, this morning. Is there a way that people can find you on, are you on social media anywhere or do we just sort of... The, the, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we website? just talked about social media. <laughs> you know, I don't really use a lot of social media. Um, you know, I, I, like I said, I'm a, a people's person. and uh, But, you know, people can contact me. I mean, you know, like we do, we... We, we do uh, post some things on uh, things like Facebook or um, uh, LinkedIn or thing. and um, But, you know, for me, if people want to contact me, I think uh, coming through yourself yeah. uh, uh, is the best way. I think uh, when you come through people, uh, then you're making the effort and you're making it real and, and you connect. And so I look at it that, you know, if people want to connect with you and, and, and make it, they'll do it in a way that becomes personal rather than, um, global. Yeah, excellent. Thank you so much, Mikey. Have a really great day. Thanks, Jason. Hey, Jason here. Just to say goodbye until next time, please do not forget to subscribe to Real People via iTunes or your favourite podcast platform. While you're there, please leave a review. If you're interested in receiving our every Friday same time emails, topics from market research to human centred design, innovation, entrepreneurialism, a whole lot of different topics by articles by me, Square Holes team, special guests from Justin Wilden to Steve Sammartino, Lisa Domenico, Elaine Steed, been quite popular, very committed every week for the last 18 months or so. Please go to squareholes.com forward slash blog to read and to join the email list. You can also follow me via Jason Dunstone on Twitter or your favourite social media. Thank you for listening. Aroosh.